0: All right, so welcome back to another episode of Gain, Grow, Retain. I'm going to start today off with a couple of reviews and then we'll, uh, we'll get into our guest. So this is a must listen for every CSM and enterprise SaaS and enterprise B2B. A lot of great ideas on what to ask and discussion openers. Uh, this podcast provides a plethora of new ideas and is great for anybody working in CS. This guy made a rich experience for me to listen to. And so today we brought back Bob London. After having you on maybe about three or four weeks ago, Bob, your episode has uh, climbed the charts. You're the the biggest or most listened to episode in Game Boy Retain history, and I hope we do this again. I hope you. I hope part two eclipses part one. That would
1: be great. That's but, awesome. Uh, and I worked. I worked very hard on writing those reviews. By the way, <laughs> that's perfect. The, the
0: twenty dollars I sent them was great. Uh, so. No. So th- this episode that we recorded, and if you haven't listened to it yet, go back and look and, look for how do you make your CSMs more strategic, I think is what I, I titled it. And um, we dove into just open ended questions. And Bob London, just to give a, a quick recap again, Bob's got um, a consulting firm called Chief, Chief Listening Officers. Um, he's a, a marketer by trade. He's been in the, the industry for a long time. And uh, what we talked about last time was how we could actually engage executives and key stakeholders at these companies and, and get our CSMs to kind of level up the types of questions we're asking. Um, I think that was a big topic for us because a lot of times we hear from our leaders in the community that you know, CSMs might be asking questions that say, hey, you know, is it yes or no? It's kind of very uh, easy to answer. Um, and so Bobby came in with some real hard hitting questions, uh, things like you know, after the QBR, maybe reaching out to your key contact and saying, Hey, what'd you guys talk about when you, when I left the room um, and trying to get, you know, throw people off their, their game a little bit, um, keep them off guard in, in a good way. So um, Jay, just before we start, maybe how come you think that really landed on the audience and then, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get Bob's perspective, but Jay, you know, how do you think, how come you think the audience really gravitated towards that episode and, and what do you think was really appealing to, to it? Um, I think, you know, one of the things that we've
2: tried to do with everything we've done on Gank, Retain, Retain, the podcast, the community, the office hours, everything we do is try to get real specific and practical. Like sh- we always say, show your work. And I think people need very specific guidance and it's always better to take a nugget of something that I can literally walk away from listening to a podcast to go use. And that's better than an idea or a concept that's, that's half formed or you know, pie in the sky. And I think we've been guilty of maybe both of those things over, over time, but um, but I think it was just real practical guidance. Like I, I learned stuff from it and started using, Jeff and I both started using that stuff. Uh, that, that one question in particular, like what did you talk about after we left the room? Uh, we, we both used that I think a week after the podcast. So I think it's just practical. People need practical guidance and help right now, just thinking
0: through how to engage. So yeah, that's it, man. Well, I think it's a good, Love yeah, it. it's a good point too. How do, you, how do you engage and break through the noise? Bob, what was your kind of what was your reaction after recording that podcast and, and thinking through, You know, I'm not sure, you, I know you've had some engage, engagement with some folks, but uh, maybe what do you think from your perspective, maybe that landed or resonated with
1: folks? Well, I think there is a practicality to it uh, that you're you're talking about. So, as a marketer, I do see. I mean, I phrase it as co- sort of content pollution. Um, just so much stuff out there that is um, uh, empty, vapid, or platitudes, and I'm, you know, uh, guilty as charged on occasion. And, and so, I think it is important. but I also think it's the, if you will, the product market fit between the content and the audience. I mean, they're on the their their responsibilities and their day to day um, in your audience. Um, I would say it this way: their job is to seek the truth from the customer's mind, and that's not a job that everyone in the company <laughs> shares. Um, I, not that not that people avoid the truth, but who who goes into the coal mine, you know, uh, to to really do the work? It's it's customer success, and so they have to know what they're dealing with, and that's why I think the I think the boldness of the questions uh, and the transparency and the confidence of the questions uh, is something I hear about pretty often. That's like, well, we've never just have never thought about asking that, and and, and the truth is stealing expression from something I read a while back, customers don't bite. They don't bite. So you can ask them and they're, they're not going to, they're not going to shame you for asking never because you're what you're, the, the nature of these questions that we'll talk about in the ones from last time, they, they, they're supposed to engender uh, uh, transparency and intimacy. So I think customers really respect that. And I think your audience understands that customers respect that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's similar to the old adage too, right? That what's the worst that can happen is a no, if you ask, you know, it's like the same thing as customers, you know, customers don't bite. It's like the same, same adage in the sense that, Um, if there are things that you want to go do, if there's, um, you know, things that you want in life, you have to ask or try and, you know, go do them and, you know, know, no, it's the worst thing that's going to happen. I think that's really true.
1: I think that's really true. And I think that, um, it almost, these questions in a way, it almost takes off some of the corporate handcuffs that all of us, I think, feel at different times, like just with the scripting and everything and the, you know, sort of everything is, is built to scale. Like just, no, just break through a little bit and ask what you really want to (laughs) know. It's crazy. Crazy I like that too,
2: Bob, you, you just said everything's built to scale. Jeff and I talk about that a lot. It's like, we need to be doing things that don't scale intentionally. And a lot of times having these discussions and asking these kind of questions, it doesn't scale because you have to have a personal, almost like a personal relationship with these, with folks, or it's a way to build relationships. So I'm curious, how do you, are you coaching people to use these questions to build relationships? Is that like a relationship building technique as much as it is a customer learning technique in your mind?
1: So that's a great question. Uh, I mean, so as you alluded to, I come from the the front end of the house, like the, the, the marketing side, marketing and sales. And so my uh, the, the way this all started for me was, uh, I may have mentioned this last time, but meeting with companies who didn't really, it became apparent during the initial conversations, they didn't really have a handle on what was going on in, in the mind of the customer, uh, that or maybe the customer's mindset had changed over time or prospect. So it was really about getting getting that those insights in order to reposition the company, uh, come up with better, more effective brand messaging, value prop, stuff like that. And so... Uh, but I, I would believe that to, to the point of why this episode seemed to resonate the previous one and hopefully this one. Um, no pressure. It, 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 well, well, yeah, we need to get to, you know, we need to get, oh, we need to beat the last one for sure. So, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that, that it's, um, it is, again, it is about the relationship. It's about, I think that the, the trans, uh, I'll say it this way, the transparency that has evolved between employers and employees, you know, employees demanding more transparency and there's really no secrets and all that is moving into the customer realm. There has to be more transparency there, ha- because uh, that that transparency breeds trust. And I think these questions foster that.
0: Totally. That's that's uh, so good. And that's. Uh, I keep thinking to Jay's point, I wrote a post on this on LinkedIn yesterday and I keep thinking about this a lot just because um, like breaking through the noise, when you think about customer marketing, when you think about some of these functions and, and how we're engaging customers today, you know, a lot of people and in, especially in the technology space, right? Everything we have to scale. We have to get to scale. We have to, uh, do more with less, like there's all these sayings, right? And the more and more you get into it and we live this every day, I just continue to think like, I actually just want to do the opposite. I want to go build things that don't scale because I've already seen firsthand. Like I've over the last uh, what three or four months, I've sent a personalized message to every person who's joined Game Brew retain or has, has joined our LinkedIn page. And it takes me, you know, I don't know how many hours a day. I'm not going to tell Jay because I don't want him to know actually. But uh, but what I get back is almost like a 75% response rate. I just went through and tried to calculate this the other day, which is to me unheard of, right? Like what type of marketing campaigns get 75% response rates? That and yes, awesome. it's just a welcome message. But at the same time, people are responding saying, I love this community. This is so great. Um, and to me, that's what is going to help us help our community in the long run. And so that's why I'm hoping, you know, I, I understand that there are business metrics and things when you get into software companies and we have to, you know, we, we have to hit some, some sort of uh some sort of uh, middle ground between, you know, super efficiency and, and not scalable. But uh, yeah. I think I tend to, now I'm starting to lean towards the, the not scalable side.
2: Yeah, so Bob, I'm curious your perspective on this. Like, I think, so what Jeff just described there is, is literally going out and building authentic relationships in our market, right? It's what we've done for, tried to do for three years, right? Three plus years with our business. So a lot of marketing teams, and I, we'll get into the questions here in a second, I know we wanna go there, but a lot of marketing teams are really focused on lead generation, Yep. right? And even sometimes right into the customer base, lead generation. But how do you think about the difference? We had an interesting conversation with, remind me of his name, Jeff, um, a guy that works for, that runs the B2B SaaS podcast or the B2B marketing podcast. We might have to talk about uh, Logan Miles, who does? <laughs> yeah, Logan, Logan. Yeah, and he, he like really enlightened us. He was like, there's demand gen and there's lead gen, right? And demand gen seems like like what you do when you build audience and trust and credibility by talking to your, to your customers. Some of them may be paying you and some of them may not be paying you yet, right? You have to think of the market as your customers. but how do you think about the difference in sort of that audience building, brand building, demand generation versus lead generation? I'm just curious because you, you're a CMO.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't I'm not a huge fan of some of these distinctions that are important to marketers, but not the rest of the world. And I'm not trying to offend anybody, but I, I gotta I gotta just be honest with you that marketing. Uh, I, I have a slide that that I use, and it, it has 165 different tactics on it that you you know podcasts, uh, every, every QR codes, everything. So I don't like the, sometimes what I feel is the forced distinctions between things. But in respect to your question, because I think you're, you know, I definitely, I think I understand the intent of what you're asking, but I had to get my little marketing jab in there. Um, (laughs) Is that everything is relationship building. But the relationship building comes from, in my view, comes from, um, it it goes in two directions. In one direction, the vendor is responsible for helping the customer do their job better, uh, make their life easier, whether it's using the product or achieving whatever their mission is, whatever's on their whiteboard. So I may have referenced this last time, but there's a, a great software company called Park My Cloud that helps, it's an automatic uh, scheduling tool to turn off unused idle AWS and Azure instances and, and Google Cloud. Well, they've become experts in cloud pricing and how to reduce costs, not, not, and, and, and then that's how they engage people uh, because it's really complicated. But that, That's not literally part of the software. The software does that automatically. So that's in one direction. You just have to make their jobs easier. You have to give them, I wish content marketing when it was spawned would, would have been called insight marketing. I mean, it was just been much better for all of us. In the other direction is all the stuff that's in the customer's mind that they maybe assume that vendors don't need to know or don't wanna know, but that vendors would be much better off understanding about the customer, but it's up to the vendor to ask. So I don't, I, I can't really comment on the, the demand gen thing to me sounds like lead gen, it always has. Um, someone can convince me otherwise, um, uh, but but I don't see, I think that's too subtle of a distinction for me, I think it's, um, uh, and I also, I have also criticized, been very critical of the term brand over the years because it gets misused to be, oh, we have a new brand. Oh, let me see. Oh, it's just our logo. Well, that's not a a brand is what people, essentially what people say about you when you're not around and, ha- but you don't build that with a new logo. You build it by doing a great job every day and providing insights and helping your customers. Mm, yeah. So there's my little rant. I think well, that, that fits well the
0: way we think about it. Yeah. Well, at least about the, the brand piece, you know, um, you need to. You <clears throat> need to have all these associations and these good, these good experiences in order for you to start building up a, a brand that means something, like you said, well, that people are going to talk about when you leave the room.
1: Yeah, I mean, a brand for most, unless you're Geico or Nike and you've got half a billion dollars a year to spend on TV, you can't tell people what to think about you. It's, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> you can't tell people what to think about you. You have, to, you have to convince them with like a thousand touch points, you know, all the time. Yep. And that's the sum of those touch points and experience is the brand. My God. All right. I think we've You're making think my day, Bob.
0: I know. I think we've gone, we've gone long enough. And people are going to be uh, crazy. They're going <laughs> like to be to yeah, <laughs> Well, gonna be...
1: hopefully they didn't hang up. Or at least <laughs> yeah, next. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll put a little thing at the beginning, right? That says like, Hey, if you want to fast forward to moment uh, 15 of the podcast, that's where we're going to get to the questions. Um, but I think you had mentioned earlier, Bob, that you, uh, you had a couple more questions to throw our way and, and that we could talk through today. So um, yep. what, what do you got?
1: Yeah. And one on us. So, so this, the, the topic again is, um, bold questions that you should only ask if you really want to hear the truth and, and the truth may not be sunshine and all sunshine and rainbows. Right? So yeah. here's a question talking to a customer. Um, so let me ask you, let me ask you this. If, if a competitor contacted you today, would you ignore them or engage scale of one to five? Um, one is you would just completely ignore, maybe delete the email or the voicemail five would be, you would, you would return the call and be interested in what they have to say. Now, the benefit of the question is that if they say, oh, I, I would definitely engage with, with a competitor, um, it gives you a chance to follow up and say, I appreciate you being honest, why? Why would you, why would you do that? What are you seeking? What are you missing? Or what, what, what's the thing that makes you curious about what the competitor is gonna say? Um, but in my experience, it's 100% answers that, that you get from this question will help you <clears throat> build the relationship. And again, it goes back to the transparency and the confidence that you showed uh, by asking it. And I, I think that I've had some people, especially in when I do due diligence, for, you know, um, as part of the, um, uh, you know, pre-acquisition, they say, well, why would we ask that? We don't want to go there. We don't want to even suggest that competitors exist. Really? Uh, And that's, by the way, that's fine. Uh, That's a fine reaction, but my my reaction to them is, okay, I mean, we can eliminate the question, but we're just not going to know as much of the truth as we need to know. So, um, you know- It's not like your
2: customer's not going to know that the competitor exists, just because you don't
1: tell them that they're a competitor. Of course. The hubris in that is just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, and so, so, and on the other end of the spectrum, if it's, um, yeah, I would just delete the email, that's good too. You know, that's obviously good. It doesn't give you much insight, but it's it's actually good. You know, it's better news because uh, you could even say you could follow up on that one by saying why or why why wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I think your
2: your your point there about like the follow up question is really important, right? Like, well, Always. okay, cool. Like, tell me tell me more about that or or why, yeah, so, why did you answer that way?
1: Yeah, so so I think of the questions that that we talk about on these uh, episodes as kind of the logs on the bonfire of customer intimacy, right? And then so mm-hmm. the, the kindling for those questions is the you know they go in between well why'd you say that what do you mean by that and how does that or how does that work um i mean i've had um i had a this was not a customer success conversation it was a sales conversation but one of my clients the ceo was talking to a prospect and i was on the call and it was something like the prospect said oh yeah i can see how this would help us improve our our customers safety or attendance because it was residential real estate and and my client went on and oh yeah absolutely and he, he expounded and elaborated on safety and it turned out 20 minutes later we found out his definition of safety was completely different so you have to you have to use those little crevice uh, kindling questions to, to stop and say, se- you missed a chance to say, what do you mean by safety? Just ex- what does that mean from your perspective, right?
0: And by the way, yeah. then, he's, then he's selling it for you. You don't have to do the selling. Right. <laughs> well, the, and that gets to the, the point, Good I think point. you mentioned where if they said, hey, you know what, I'm gonna delete the email, that also uh, gives you the opportunity to start to maybe work them for, um become your reference or you know work you know have them become an advocate for you in some way like if they're gonna say hey I'm gonna delete the email from the competitor then you know again that, that should be like you mentioned as well right the, the negative response follow-up is just as good as our positive response follow-up and we need to make sure and be able to to identify those opportunities as well because that's even important for us to say hey do you mind talking to another prospect in the sales cycle sometime or you can't just directly ask that but you have to start nurturing that relationship more but yeah, yeah no that's so a great
1: point. That's a great point. And I, I want to go back to one thing that I, I underrepresented which is if they say uh, I would delete the email you can just say, you know what, that's that's incredibly um, gratifying to hear. And I, I'm just curious, is there something that we do that you think you'd have a hard time finding elsewhere? You know, because that's my world is the positioning, the value prop, you know, the uniqueness of it. Yeah. So there you go.
0: I like that one. And uh, the the part of that question, and I'm curious from your standpoint too, um, Bob. Like one of the things I keep reading a lot about, and I think we talk about a lot, is trying to work in the the customers dialogue or vernacular, you know, like, so, so talking in their language. And so I also think about, uh, that question, especially for CSMs and for customer facing teams, um, like we're talking about, like that question can be powerful because you can listen for the language that they use. If they say, Hey, I would go engage with that customer or I would would go engage with that competitor. And I'm looking for, you know, I'm looking for a, um, ease of use, or I'm looking for uh, something that will help us do X, Y, and Z better. And it's in their language. And then you can essentially mirror that. You can repeat that back, um, in a way, hopefully that can come back into your organization as a, a positive that you're bringing back some, some Intel like that.
1: A thousand percent. I mean, I, again, coming from the marketing, the front end of the business, I think customers are definitely tired of hearing vendors talk in their own language and, and assume how customers really think of things and talk about things. So I think you're spot on. Awesome. Uh,
0: uh, all right. What, what, I got more.
1: Next question. Um, so hypothetically, of course, what what would you lose if we suddenly went away? Of course, we're not going away. So, but what would you lose? What would life like be, What what would your life and job be like without us? So this, this I've, I've seen this elsewhere too, uh, although I invented it. <laughs> um, but, but I think that, uh, so there's the, the, two, the two elements of this are, number one, you may find that you, you're indispensable and then you need to know why they think you're indispensable. Uh, don't assume like, well, it says on our website that we're great at this, so that must be why they think we're indispensable. Um, or, or our elevator pitch that marketing drafted and sent out to the whole company, that, that must be why. So you can't just rest on that. You say, why, why do you think, you know, why, why would your life be that horrible without us? On the other end of the spectrum, and I have had this. It's uh, well, you know, the world would go on. You know, we'd figure out another way to do it. Um, either you know, either because there's enough substitutes and alternatives out there in the market, or because you know, like people talk about software, they go, "We'll just go back to using Excel." <laughs> so, um, but either way, it gives you a chance. If 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 they say, "Yeah, well, it would be disruptive, but not for more than a week," then you have an opportunity to understand maybe they're missing some value that you, off, that you know you offer that they're not, they're missing it. They're, they're just not getting it or, or they, they didn't use it the right way or something. So um, asking them to do that again, and I think this is one that some people get anxious about asking because they don't wanna even suggest the thought that they might not be working with this particular customer one day. But customers are, again, they, they always seem to appreciate the context in which I'm asking these questions because they, they, they get it that, you know, I'm trying to get them to think and give an answer that's not a cliche And so the way to do that is to ask questions that aren't cliches. So that's, that's that one. Do you
2: you think that, um, do you think that CSMs are scared to, why, why, why do you think, let me ask it this way. Why do you think that people are scared to ask those questions, this type of
1: question? Well, so, um, I'm going to say that I, I don't have a lot of direct experience with people being scared per se, because I think that by the time they get to me, these companies, my clients, they know they need to do something different and they, they, they're willing to embrace. In terms of CSMs, I think that, um, I think there's there's sort of the, um, you know, who wants to really rock the boat by asking these questions? I, I'm not, I'm not suggesting individual CSMs don't think they're good questions, but it's like, well, what do you do with that answer? It's too big. I can't digest it. And I don't know who to tell it to. Like it may be mm, something, it may be a big deal. Point. So it has to be, you know, it has to be asked in a framework where there's, you, you kind of decide what to do with it afterwards. Um, but I also think it goes back to the, the, um, the over, the over processization <laughs> of of the way everything has to happen in order to scale it's sort of like we can't do anything out of a, a certain swim lane <clears throat> but 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 I, but i think a lot of it is not knowing what the answer is going to be that's the main yeah. thing yeah. And, and i that's why i love these questions in fact the next one i talk about will illustrate that really well but the you know it's not knowing what the answer is going to be because sales think about it you really you're yeah you're asking questions the great sales people are always asking questions to listen and understand and then they're good at positioning the product along the lines of what they just heard but they're they're generally looking to ask questions where the answers go down a certain path. I mean that's what sales training is about is choreography. Customer success I don't I think should be very different. It should be don't be afraid to be open ended. Be bold. Sort of prod. Ask questions that really people go whoa. You know I need to think about that a little bit. But once they think about it, that's gold for you. Yeah. I think it's a leadership thing. I mean I I I think yep. a leadership has to embrace something like this and give permission. Um, and, and make it comfortable for people to ask these kind of questions.
0: And, and do it themselves, right? It'd be great if I was a, if I was a CSM and I had a, a C level or had an executive in my meeting and heard them asking these types of questions and saw it in practice, right? Like in and then getting that kind of uh, permission. Uh, the other, the other thing that I think is interesting when you start thinking about um, engaging, we'll say post the first sale or post initial sale. Uh, what's really interesting too, is thinking about how, how do we continually drive value outside of this day-to-day contact as well? And the way I think about that is, asking questions that will get you to the next layer and then to the next layer. And so thinking about, you know, yes, Bob, you know, I know how our solutions impacting your day to day, but now let's start to get in like, what's the next layer? Who else is, who else is this really impacting? Are you giving reports to certain people? Are you, uh, is your workflow involved in something that has to go through multiple steps outside of your department? Um, you know, and I think that's also something for CSM to start thinking about is how do you get outside of the, the direct one-to-one questions that are because I think everybody right now is asking questions right like oh how you know how valuable is our solution to you and oh that's great we took you out of spreadsheets uh, but you know in order for SaaS companies to grow over time there has to be some uh, some substantial value right we're helping the customer achieve better outcomes and therefore the customer should be growing and therefore you know we're going to grow alongside of them um, and I think that's also getting outside of the, the direct one-to-one contact I think CSM want to grow if you want to grow your skill set and you want to start getting more opportunities and responsibility, you have to start thinking about how this fits into the bigger picture.
1: I love that. I mean, I, you made a good point just now, um, that I, I guess I don't, I take for granted, which is that I'm, I'm used, when I do these interviews, I'm talking to the, it's the t skill person. Usually it's the person who's, who has executive purview and signs, signs the check or signs, signs the PO. And, and, but they also have responsibility for making sure that whatever they're buying achieves the business goal in, in a certain area, like it. And, um, so I, I, that's one of the requirements of what I do is trying to talk to the right people. Um, if I'm if I'm in customer success and I'm talking to a user, you, you just, you don't always get that perspective. I mean, I've done conversations with users where they go, I go, well, what's the value, the return on investment for what you pay for this and what you get out of it? And they have no idea because they don't know what it costs. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so you have to make sure you're talking to people that are gonna give you that. Um, or when you're talking to a user say, you know, is there someone else that you think I should, now that you've heard my questions, is there someone else you think I'd get value from asking them?
0: Yeah. And that helps you as a, you know, again, in client facing roles, whether it's CSM or uh, an account manager, like that also helps you build your essentially organizational map or relationship map. We we talk about this all the time and having different types of stakeholders, right? You've got an executive sponsor, you have a champion, you have power users. And so the ability to, your point, Bob, right there, like asking the right question to say, oh, who else would, would, you know, who else would would benefit from these types of questions helps you then to also orient yourself as to, you probably already know who the executive sponsor is because they signed it. You know who the day-to-day is because they're interacting with you on a regular basis. But those types of questions then help you start to figure out and fill in the gaps between those people um, and start to build that kind of relationship map you need to go build.
2: Right. It it also lowers the, the, um, the barrier, maybe the inhibitions of having your day-to-day point of contacts take you to, to other points of contact in the organization that you really need. So I love that point, Jeff, because I think that's a struggle for a lot of the CSMs that we work with. It's like, okay, I'm sort of stuck with my, the administrator on a day-to-day basis, or I'm stuck with the, my, my business owner point of contact, but I know I need to get up to that executive sponsor level. Asking questions that sort of demonstrate what you want to hear from them is a good way to lower everybody's anxiety about bringing you into other parts of the organization.
1: This is something that that, that I, I I honestly wrestle with, not not necessarily around customer success, but when I I think the question is who should be asking these questions. So for customer success, I think you know the conversations we've had in the past and the validation we got from the previous episode uh, would suggest that that customer success is really interested in this type of stuff. But but is but so I guess there's the question of who in customer success should be asking it, and then but but is that really the place in the company where some of this resides? Because it may transcend customer success. Um, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's something that, so if a company hires me to do this kind of work, it's obviously I'm the one asking the questions, but it always has that CEO founder sponsorship behind me. Um, in fact, they send out the invitations asking people, their customers and former customers to participate. But I, I, I do wrestle with that a little bit because um, in many cases, marketing just simply doesn't have the time or they don't, you know, or their job is, it becomes very tactical and they're not strategic thinkers uh, to, to go out and ask. but so, who's going to be asking, right? If it's not, so that goes back to, I think what the talk I did back at JMI a while back is like this is customer success's unique opportunity, especially now during all the customer hugging discussions, you know, during, during the lockdown. So I think it's, it's a great opportunity for customer success to embrace. It's a great fit for what they do, what their m- mission is. Um, but, but, but I guess it's just it's sort of goes back to your question of why don't people ask these questions? Um, maybe they don't know what to do with the answer sometimes. Yeah, I'll give you, a, I'll give you a, a response to that too. The, what they should be doing with those, the answers to those questions is uh, giving
0: them to their customer marketing team. And in our minds, if you have a well, oiled machine and you have, um, you know, if you think about how an organization might look, like a lot of times we like to see customer marketing actually sit in customer success because the closer we can tie it to, I think what a lot of the questions and things you're getting at, Bob, if we can tie it to like what our customers are saying right now, then that gives us such good ammunition when we want to go, um, you know, think about positioning back into our current customers. If we want to think about the verbiage we're using in emails and uh, how we're talking to customers and how we're engaging them, like there should be a customer marketing function that is just eating all that stuff up that they could get from the customer success team and then using it for current customers and then hopefully synthesizing it for the marketing team as well to be able to use in, in some form or fashion.
1: That's what I was just going to add. I mean, I think that we had this conversation about scale. You know, everyone thinks that, you know, you build the lead gen machine and it just, it's on and then it, it, that, that's, that's it. Well, the reality is the value prop that you have in your campaigns and the messaging in your campaigns is just, I, I call it minimum viable messaging. I mean, it's a starting point. So you have to keep learning and I, again, if marketing's not asking these questions to learn, well, what we this is what we thought was valuable. What do they think is valuable now that they've used it for a year? That connection is extremely important to me, to make. Yeah,
2: it, this this helps. Um, yeah, you know, we we talk to a lot of customer success teams, and everybody, even the leaders, they're trying to get more strategic and get a seat at the table. And I think this is a really simple thing that you can start to do, is to actually be the voice of the customer within the organization. It's a great place to start, right? Because you're closer, so you have the opportunity to, yeah, the opportunity to ask these questions and. Yeah, you're going to handle all the day-to-day. There's a lot of tactical things that have to happen. A lot of teams are—they tell us they're 50% tactical and 50% strategic. But take that 50% strategic and roll it into something that the whole company can use. And man, you'll have a seat at the table faster than you, especially, especially right now. So I'm gonna—I'm
1: in I suspense. I want to hear. Couldn't agree more. Want to hear your third question? Oh, so this one—I'm gonna—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll give a little. This is the the journey of this question. So um, the way I usually ask it is so at the very end, end of the call. Um, before we wrap up says, let me ask one more question. What would make you a, a customer for life? And I just leave it. And I'll tell you, this is the most insight producing question that I have in my little arsenal. Because first, the first thing that happens is there's a little bit of silence. And then they, I, I, hear that. I can kind of hear the gears grinding and sometimes, a lot of times I, I've lost count People say, that's a that's a great question. And I always say thank you <laughs> because that's my job is to ask good questions. And then they laugh. And then they're thinking, and, and if they think long enough without saying it, I'll say, look, I mean, I don't mean, it, it's a figurative question. I don't mean literally sign a contract for the rest of your life. I mean, obviously that's not what we're going for. But what you, what you realize is they're thinking, which means they're, gonna, they're really thinking. And you know what they say? A lot of times it blows me away. They say, you know, no one's ever asked me that before. So I'm, on the one hand, I think we'd all like customers that never leave, uh, the, the right kind of customers. But we're not asking apparently what that looks like from the customer's perspective. So just ask, what would make you a customer for life? Because what you get from them is that it's another way of finding out what's the delta between their current experience and the experience that they think they need moving forward, or how is their business changing, or what what's the gap in, in your current customer experience. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that that's that's just, um, it's it's just so super critical. And again, I think that um, I, I don't think, I, in 2000 calls, interviews, I don't think I've ever had anyone who failed to produce who misunderstood the, the intent of the question to the point where they didn't give me an answer. In other words, I, I in the beginning of the first 100 calls, uh, I would get a little anxious about asking it because it is, you know, people, people don't mind thinking, but they have to be in the right frame of mind to be asked a question that stretches their brain a little bit. So what would make, you know, and, and it's the way you ask it. It's like, what, what would make you a customer for life? Not literally, but you know, figuratively. And uh, it's, an, it's an amazing question. The answers are fantastic that, that you get. And the fact, that, the, the fact that they've never been asked the question before, shame on all of us in business.
0: Totally. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal a little secret here that um, I saw that question of yours in a presentation somewhere, and uh, and so I used it for some discovery calls that we were doing for one of our clients. Good. And it was really fascinating to come back because you actually had some diverse answers. You know. I think you, we got some answers that you would think of, which is you know some people just kind of joked jokingly were like, well you know if you keep the price in you know if you keep yeah. the price in line it's gonna it's gonna go. But some of the other things we heard were were great. It was like well you know if you keep doing what you're doing on the account management side, this team had an account management function that uh, was in, engaging with the customer. They were proactive. They were you know very attentive to what they needed and they got things done. Uh, so one you know one person that we asked that question to said, hey you know as long as we have that level of of, um, of service from your our account management team, then I think we're gonna we're gonna be very happy for a long time. And, you know, I think things like that, to your point, like you start to see gaps pretty easily. We heard things like, um, you know, things in the product. you know, we, I don't know where your product's going. So how am I going to you know, yes. understand where I'm going to be for a customer? for that? Exactly. So exactly. The, the thing that really um, I love about that question though, is it to Jay's point, it is so open ended, especially across the business that you can literally bring in almost every department to come listen to that type of feedback. Right. Because it's like, people are going to answer that in so many different ways. Um, and that you've got a seat at the table now because you have some unique insights that nobody else is asking. Hey,
2: Bob, I got a question for you. So let's suppose we have a a company with 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 customers, and let's just say they're all smaller in nature, smaller customers, but we want answers to these questions. Would you ever recommend, or how how would you recommend going about getting that? I mean, you can go sample, right? And go Mm -hmm. have conversations with a sample set and have that real two-way dialogue, but how do you think about taking these kind of questions and putting them in like a survey or a questionnaire format? Is that acceptable? You want
1: to know know how to scale it, huh? (laughs) Yeah, it's going in reverse of everything we said earlier, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You're not the first person who's asked that question. Here's the challenge. Um, There's a line between asking customers about them and then versus asking customers what you should do as a vendor. It's not their job to to do your job for you. And that's not what you should be asking. What you're really asking is to get them to talk about themselves, their problems, their challenges, the future. I love that thing about where the product is going. So surveys just aren't really great at that. Um, there are certain things surveys are amazing for, um, uh, but 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 the question, this question in particular, is I think is too open-ended for a survey, and I cannot imagine the drop-down or the the, the multiple choice that you would put under it, <laughs> um, unless you had unless it was just completely reframed, and uh, even then. So, but there are there are so so if if I were doing a if someone said Bob, we. We hear you, but we'll like the situation you're, you just described, we, we need to get some. We need to get a more representative sample. We need to be a little more quantifiable. Whatever you can design a survey to try and get people to give you these types of answers, uh, but it wouldn't be the same. A lot of the same questions. It would be. I think it would be very different. People just don't. I mean, there's an inherent problem with surveys that uh, I always joke. The survey is the thing that you fill out while your friends are waiting to go to lunch. You, you're like trying to catch up with them. So you're like click 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 click. Um, we'll meet you at Chipotle and you get anxious and start filling it out real quick. Back in the old days when you could go to lunch. So, um, but, but but there are some great use cases for surveys. I just, I don't know. I would, I I guess I would ask whoever said that to me, well, why, what's, what's the reason, why couldn't you do 30 of these conversations? You know, and and because the other thing that I found is customers have very, they converge on certain themes very quickly. So I've had, you know, engagements where we're supposed to do 20 interviews, but after the first eight, it's like everyone's saying the same thing. So, um, but that's not a perfect answer for those who um, need, they have a much more quantitative bent um, or that well, they I'm, just.
2: I'm, I'm not even, I, I get what you're saying about the like, how do you put, there's no multiple choice answer to that, right, because if, if that's what you're doing, then you're feeding an answer that you maybe wanna hear and your bias. I'm thinking like open-ended, like oh, if you can get people to fill in, just write down your thoughts, I know it's a big ask, but what I'm, what I'm thinking is how do we start to create that dialogue with 3,000 customers as opposed yeah I, to only, I, because it's the engagement that I want not right, I, just the answers.
1: I understand now I think I understand a little better sorry for misunderstanding I, I don't know I, I, you stumped me because the beauty of these questions of course is the ability to listen to the answer and then say well what did you mean by that or what you know why this or you know so and you don't really have that on survey unless someone's inventing a survey bot somewhere that will be as smart as you or or me. Um, well, no, no there's, of, there's probably no plenty chance. of bots that are smart as me, not as <laughs> you. So, um, yeah, I, I'd have to, I, I I'm going to think about that. Um, because, cause there may be an answer that's just, I'm not thinking broadly enough about. Uh, All
2: right. So that'd be episode three. Oh, with, right.
0: with Bob yeah. we'll do a whole series. That's tomorrow. <laughs>
1: yeah, Saturday or Sunday. Yeah, um, exactly.
0: yeah, no, it's, but it's a good question. Uh, the, and, and I think Jay's perspective and what we've thought about a lot is, um, and this is kind of going on a, a little different tangent for a minute, but we get asked a lot, like you know, do I have too many questions on my NPS survey, and how should I ask my customer satisfaction survey? And um, I think largely we, what we like to think about J and I is, um, yes, we don't want to lead, you know, we don't want to have leading questions, we don't really want to give answers, we want to hear open-ended and, and good discussion and dialogue. But what we see that more as in terms of like, it doesn't really matter about the score that you get back, it does, but it doesn't because we see much more of that as an engagement. Like, oh, the customer responded to you, now you've got an opening. To go back, and now yeah. you have an opening to go engage. If they don't respond at all, that's when you know we're sitting there saying, "All right, we need to break through the noise. We have to get, you know, we have to go to that customer in a different way than just sending a survey." And they're clearly not engaged with us right now, and that's a red flag, right? And so I think that's a lot friend. of times you, you see Steve um, or you see um, you see customers worry a lot more about what my NPS score is, what it's trending to, rather than saying what's our response rate? Is it increasing? How yeah. are we following up? What's the what's the engagement that we're actually getting with customers? And so it's really a tool uh, to engage with customers and create a space for for a dialogue.
1: That's a great point I, I always think of these questions as being uh complementary to surveys i mean there's a role yeah. for both yeah i just i don't yeah I'm, I'm, you got are so, thinking about the question though so i'll think here, about
0: that. so here's my here's here's um one here's what my response would be to you jay as i just thought about this as we were as i was just going on a diatribe for a minute but i would think about how could we create surveys uh that would elicit maybe some of these answers i don't think you ask the, the questions in the same way because i think to bob's point you know if you ask you know what's gonna make you a customer for life i think you really want a dialogue not just a a response. So I think trying to figure out, you know, two to three questions that you can craft in that way. Um, and then look for non responders. And non responders yep. would be the ones who I would go focus on to have this type of one on one conversation. And so then, almost like thinking about how you sequence maybe some surveys going out and then you you subsequently start to zero in on who are the non-responders, um, who are the executives that are unengaged in these accounts. And then that's where you start. You almost have a prioritization almost like on a quarterly or monthly basis that you're, and you have somebody on your team who's on customer marketing or in some function that is, hey, you have a requirement to talk to five customers a month or 10, whatever it is. And, you know, you distill the answers back. Um, but I think you have to get to Bob's point. I think you kind of have to think about the these types of discussions that's complementary to the um, surveys that we're sending out and, and trying to find the right people to go have these dialogues with where you're going to get answers <laughs> that you probably don't want to hear, but you need to hear. I think that's brilliant. I love Absolutely. it. I love it. I here,
2: here's what I would propose. Like we only have a few minutes left. Yep. We need to get Steve Bernstein and Bob on a podcast together and to talk about this more and even maybe even do a live event with it. Do you know Steve Bernstein?
1: I do not. What does he do?
2: like, he runs a company called waypoint group, um, which is a, he basically they have a, a, a questionnaire platform. Uh, is the way he would probably refer to it, but it's voice of customer at yeah. scale. Yeah, and yeah. So he's been doing it for 25 years. I think he was with Satrix early on, and he's mm-hmm. runs his own company now. But we, he's like we look at him the way we look at you. Just like a, he's one of the big names in the space, and just can go deep to the bottom of the pool. So it'd be really cool to combine the, your techniques with what he does yeah. at scale because but he also thinks about it on a very relationship oriented like what action are we going to take how are we following up and closing the loop like he just he's inspired so much of our thinking around that so i think it would be really fun
1: that'd be awesome um can i just to- can i this isn't a, this isn't uh, helping but i have just thought of another re- reaction to your question which is people like to talk but they don't like to write so if you're asking someone to verbally give you an answer it's very frictionless if you're asking them to write something down and expound I, I it's challenging so i would love i would welcome the mm. chance to continue this part of the dialogue or anything and then, you know, meet Steve would be great. Awesome.
2: Well, we might have a use case to try this stuff out too, which would be really fun. So that would be fun. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll definitely talk
0: more. Okay, cool. Sorry, Jeff. I didn't mean to go off on attention. Oh. tangent. That was good. Bob, thank you for doing this again. I'm excited to get this one out there. And then uh, like Jay mentioned, it looks like we've got a, we've got a date set for uh, a third meeting and you, you're probably gonna get sick of us here uh, very quickly.
1: I, that would be quite <laughs> impossible. I'm so thrilled that this is proving to be valuable to you guys and your audience. I really am. I, I, I always feel like with customer success that I've, I've kind of, you know, there's a zone there that I get in. So I, I'm anytime, anytime, I would love to do it. And I'm honored that you guys got such great feedback. Hey guys, thanks
2: so much for taking the time to listen to the Gain, Grow, Retain podcast. If you liked what you heard, please take a moment and share the podcast with your friends and colleagues and subscribe. We really appreciate it. Talk to you soon.